good to be with you guys. Uh, we are continuing on in week two of our series, You and Me. If you missed last week's, uh, it was the very foundational to this whole series and where we're going. So I would encourage you to watch last week's message. It literally sets the foundation to every relationship. And so I get the privilege of kicking off week two. Uh, my name is Micah. For those of us who uh, we have not met, I travel full time out of Zoe Church as a staff evangelist. Was just in New York City, New Jersey, uh, New York City yesterday, landed yesterday, spoke to a couple hundred teenagers there, and uh, a cool update, a cool report. Uh, this weekend, we saw 124 teenagers give their life to Jesus, uh, respond to the gospel, and it was incredible. And I did have some New York pie. If you don't know what pie is, it's pizza. That's what they call it over there. It's really good. Uh, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to jump right into week two of our series in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is coming to a conclusion here. He's talked a lot of, about a lot of different things up in this point. He's talked about the life of a follower of Jesus, what to expect. He's talked about material things. In fact, where we're going today, he just finished up saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you wear, what you eat. Uh, literally, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I will give you everything you need. And then just on the tail end of that is where we are today. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Okay, Jesus. Okay. I'm going to step on some toes here, I see. How can you say to your brother, how in the world can you look at your brother and say to him, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time, not sometimes, not part of the time, but all the time, right here it says you got a giant plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. You're an encouraging God. Thank you, Jesus. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, help. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. The title of my message today, Don't Judge Me. You just read it. Don't step on my toes. These aren't my words. These are his. The title of my message today is titled, You Hypocrite. What a great day to come to church. Man, I'm glad I came to this one. Man, I feel so good that I came to this message. You Hypocrite. Has anybody here ever judged somebody before? You've judged someone. You just, you've made an assumption about something. Just by a show of hands, has anybody judged somebody here? By a show of hands, every single hand in this place should be up. Uh, the other day I was watching a, a game in my downstairs basement, and um, my wife, she loves to be downstairs, and she does laundry, and I had my little girl with me on the couch. We were watching a game, and some of my favorite moments, by the way. I love when a little girl loves sports, too, with her dad. It's just one of the best things ever. So we're watching a game, and my wife's doing laundry in the laundry room, and I hear my wife turn on the faucet to wash her hands in the bathroom, but it's just getting abnormally long, uh, and I'm like, well, I know she likes to be clean, and I know she likes to wash her hands, so... I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Well, now like 60 seconds goes by with the faucet on. 
And I start to get a little antsy. I'm like, hey, Steph, shut the water off. Hey, shut it off. I'm screaming because it's a good part of the game. I don't want to leave the game. I'm on a nice couch. All I got to do is use my voice, get my wife to turn off the water. Now two minutes goes by. I'm just like, hey, what you doing in there? You washing your hair? Shut the water off. Shut it off. And I'm just letting her have it. I'm just upset at this point. Hey, do you pay the water bill? I do. Shut it off. And I get up. It's been three minutes. I'm like, why in the world is she running our faucet? I turn the corner. I go, shut. And it's my little boy in the sink with the faucet on, flooding our whole bathroom. (laughs) Shut it. Malachi, shut it off. (laughs) Shut off the water, son. Here's a video for proof. Go ahead and roll the video. So I hear the water running in our bathroom, and I come in and turn around the corner, and my son's in the sink, overflowing the water. water All over the floor. All over the rug. Shut it off, son. We got to get him out. You know, if we're really honest, we all do the same thing, too. Uh, And if you're a lady here and you're upset that I was yelling at my wife, you're thinking in your seat right now, you hypocrite. (laughs) You hypocrite. Get your butt off the couch. Stop watching the game. Help your wife. Hypocrite. We've all done it, haven't we? In fact, the word in the text we're studying today in Matthew 7 is this Greek word called krino. It literally means to decide or to come to a conclusion. It also means to be better than somebody else. And so in this context, Jesus is saying, don't you dare come to a conclusion about anybody. Don't decide on behalf of them when you clearly could be an idiot for yelling at your wife to turn off the water, but it clearly wasn't your wife, it's your son. We've all done this. In fact, uh, it's real easy, probably more easy than ever before, to judge somebody. Uh, Every day, I see hundreds of people on social media. And every day, just by what I see from one post, I can immediately begin to judge somebody. I can watch someone on social media and see how they voted for Biden and immediately start to judge them that they are the biggest sinner of all time. Now I'm about to really get real. There's someone in our church that I now see post something, and now I will never talk to them in church on a Sunday because I know they're this way. And what I have done is I have just judged my brother and my sister in Christ just by a little blip from what I've seen. There were some high school girls probably who got pretty excited today when they saw the Lululemon bag because they know I love to give gifts. So they must be thinking, oh, my word, everyone's getting Lulu today. Yay, yay, best day ever. I'll take the you hypocrite message for Lulu. (laughs) So true story, there was this father who has three girls, and he's brilliant, brilliant, smart dad. He brings home a Lulu bag, and it's around Christmas time, so the three sisters are, yeah, dad, you're a good dad, you're a smart dad. Dad, I can't wait to get our Lulu gifts. Dad, show us what you got us. And the dad, when he opens up the Lulu bag, he begins to take out one rock at a time and sets them on the kitchen table. And the girls who were so excited about seeing the Lulu bag, they literally start berating their dad. Dad, 
you're the meanest. Dad, how could you get a Lulu bag and give us rocks? Oh, real funny, Dad. Good job, Dad. Thanks anyway. And the girls start to turn and walk away. And the dad says, are you sure you want to walk away? Dad, why would I stay for something that's not Lulu? You're trying to be a funny prank. In fact, you probably have it on the home recording so you could post it to TikTok, Dad. Good job. And uh, the dad says, I don't know if you'd really want to walk away. And the girls say, well, why? And he says, well, this rock, this one has silver in it. And this rock, it has gold in it. And this rock has a diamond in it, which could pay for your Lulu ten times over. And immediately, the daughters immediately felt guilty of assuming that what they saw didn't line up with their reality. We do the same exact thing to people. We see them on the outside, and we completely miss out on the treasure that's on the inside. And the treasure I'm speaking about is where God said, I made every man and woman in my image. And so to judge someone means to judge the image of God. And I'm not sure we want to do that. And how many people will never see come and turn into the treasure God has for them when we harbor judgment in our hearts to the very treasure that God sees? This is a serious thing that he points out. In fact, if Jesus is going to give a sermon, he's going to put the most important things in it. And right there he says, do not judge one another. Don't do it. Because the measure you're going to judge somebody else with, it will be done to you. And you don't want that measure on your life. Don't do it. Judgment robs the treasure in somebody else's life. And honestly, the person who has the biggest stuff done to them is actually the person being judged or judging. And so there's a couple things I want to point out today from God's word that kind of helps us understand what happens when I judge others. Number one is this, judging others puts me in the wrong seat. It puts me in the wrong seat. The very first time you ever see two humans created, their names are Adam and Eve. And the very first time you ever see them made in the image of God, you see for the very first time somebody judge somebody else. You can go ahead and put up Genesis 3 on the screen. This is what Genesis 3 says. The man literally looks at God and begins to judge God by saying, the woman you gave me, you did this. The woman you gave me, she made me do it. You know what this judgment seat is called? It's called the seat of blame. And you were never meant to sit in a seat of blame. And judgment always puts you higher or supposedly higher than everybody else. I can clearly see over all of your heads. And this judgment seat, the wrong seat I was never meant to sit in, we can quickly fall into this seat called blame. And blame always blinds. It allows you to never see anything else. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, when I'm looking at Adam, judge God, you did this. The woman you made for me, she made me do it. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Adam, bro, you ate it too, bro. You ate the fruit too. But know what happens is blame never accounts for personal responsibility. But blame always is constantly looking incessantly at the sins of other people. And it will never take any personal responsibility for your own life. That's a mistake. 
In fact, it's possible you're in a relationship right now, and it's really easy to blame because of the actions they've done to you, your husband, your wife. I'm going to give a free marriage tip right now. It will change your whole life. There was a husband who was having marital issues. You know where he loved to sit? He loved to sit in the blame seat way up high above his wife, point out everything wrong she did. You know what he decided to do? He realized the rule that scripture teaches, that relationships are not 50% from one person and 50% from another person. But in order for any relationship to work, it takes 100% from one person. And it might even take 0% from another. But as long as there's one person with 100%, you'll find someone who takes personal responsibility. And they won't sit in the seat of blame. You know what this husband did? He decided rather than blaming his wife, every single day he was going to open up a journal And every day he was going to write down something he was thankful about that he saw in his wife. And as this husband every single day wrote out in the journal, he said the biggest thing that changed was me. And my marriage was saved because I shifted from the blame seat and got in a seat of thankfulness. When you take personal responsibility in your relationships and you no longer judge, now you can love people the right way. Now you can serve and treat others the way Jesus wanted us to treat people. The other thing that happens when we judge somebody is we literally take a seat we were never meant to sit in. It's the seat that the Pharisees love to sit in. Put up the next scripture on the screen, please. You see in Luke chapter uh, 18, verse 9, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax corrector, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I got. Y'all, when you judge someone, you literally, clearly put yourself in a seat you were never meant to sit in. Man, I'm so thankful I'm not like those people. Man, I'm so thankful I'm not like the Democrat people. Man, I'm so thankful I'm not like this Republican person. Man, I'm so thankful I'm not like that trans person. Man, I'm so thankful I'm not like this. And this can be one of the most dangerous traps for all Christians. Because how people who aren't in our church right now view the church is they view the church as a bunch of hypocrites and judgmental people. And what one comes out of our mouth is judgment, and what comes out of our mouth is pronouncement of judgment on other people. We clearly are showing the world, not the posture that Pastor Greg preached last week, down on our knees with the towel around our legs, washing people's feet. But we now put ourselves in a posture that says, I am better than you. And last time I checked, I need Jesus just as much as anybody not in this church. I need him just as much. And what it's doing, it's putting me in the wrong seat. You know what this seat is called? Self-righteousness. That I tithe and you don't. That I fast and pray and you don't. That I go to church every Sunday and you don't. And the last time I read my Bible, the Bible says your righteousness, even your best day, is filthy rags in comparison to the holiness and righteousness of Christ. Is anybody here thankful that Christ stepped down off the ladder and didn't come to judge the world, but he came to save the world? Is there anybody that's thankful for the righteousness of Christ that doesn't let us boast in ourselves, but lets us... Boast in how amazing he is. And oh, by the way, let me point you to what scripture says. That God is high and lifted up. That he is seated on a throne. Which means this. The only person that was meant to be elevated was God. So when I take his seat, I'm playing a role I was never meant to play. 
When I sit in his seat, I now say, well, I can do it better than you, God. I actually know more than you, God. I actually know quite a bit more. So, God, I'll actually take your role and I'll play the judge. Y'all, I'm just telling you, the quicker you let God be God, the quicker you can move on from your hurt. The quicker you let God be the judge who sees all, who notices all, and by the way, will get the final judgment of it all, the quicker you can become free to love people. So let God take his seat and you stay in a posture of humility. And know what I love about God? Is he didn't just stay on the throne, although he is and he did, but he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, that the real posture was one of service. That he was willing to leave all of heaven to come and make it right. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it be funny if John 3 said, For God so judged the world that he gave his one and only son. No, it says, For God so loved the world that whoever might believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. The next verse is really dope. It says, For Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world. And so Jesus, even he, came to seek, to save, and not to condemn. And in Matthew chapter 7, the kind of judgment we're talking about is the condemning kind, the egotistical kind, the one that makes you better than everybody else. Judging others puts me in the wrong seat. And then number two, judging others means I have an eye problem. It means I have an eye problem. When I look wrong, I act wrong. When I see incorrectly, I will do incorrect things. Look at what Matthew says, what Jesus says in his words about the eye. You can put up the next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If I was Satan, I would do everything I could to get you to keep staring at the wrong thing. If I were Satan, I would keep you eyes on other people's lives and other people's sin. It's really, it's really interesting how we're so good at forgetting our sin, but constantly thinking about the sins of other people. Like, that's what we stare at. And know what judgment is like? It's like these glasses I got from Target. Ladies, I didn't bring Lulu clothes, but if you want some cute glasses for the beach this summer, here you go. Okay. At Target, I got these pink filtered glasses, and this is what judgment is like. It's like putting on a pink filtered glasses, okay? I, yeah, make fun of me. Judge me, okay? I look weird. I know, I know. But know what judgment's like? It's like putting on pink filtered glasses and all of you are pink. The pole is pink. The lights are pink. Everything is pink. I can't see any other colors. Well, yeah, because your filter is pink. Judgment is the same way. When your filter and your lens is judgment over your eyes, you will judge every person you meet. You will judge every person you see. And God calls us to get rid of the filter of judgment so we can see clearly how he sees people. So we got to ditch the filter and start seeing people how he sees people. I think it's funny that he gives us this illustration of a speck and a plank. Here we have this issue of Jesus says, why in the world do you stare at the speck in your friend's eye? And so I brought a speck. He says, here's the deal. 
people on the way back might get a glimmer of this. You might barely be able to see this. It's so small. But you want to know what happens when I keep staring at the speck? When my eyes keep looking at the speck, the speck actually gets bigger. It begins to take up most of my vision. Everything else is blurred in the background. All I can see is the speck in my brother's eye. The speck is really quite small. But the longer I look at it, the more I look at it, the bigger it becomes. What you stare at will get magnified. And we weren't called to stare at the sins of other people. But we love to fool around with our eyes, constantly looking at other people's sin, so that possibly we might feel better about ourselves. We might feel like we're medicating ourselves. We were never meant to stare at people's sin. And unfortunately, unfortunately, but this has been going on for centuries, there are sins that are now documented. There are sins that are now podcasted. There are sins that have now turned into series. And as Christ followers, we were never called to stare at it. Oh, but I'm just trying to learn something. I'm trying to, what what I'm supposed to stay away from. Is God's word not enough from what you need to learn from? Is God's word not foundational enough for what you need to stay away from? Because if we read it, we would see, don't stare at the speck of somebody else's life when you got a giant plank coming out of your life. And this plank, it's there all the time. You walk around, you don't see it. It's there all the time. Because here's the deal. The plank is pride. And pride will keep you from seeing the own plank in your eye, but keep you incessantly staring at the speck of somebody else's. How do we expect there to ever be change when we never deal with the the plank in our own eye? What if we began to look at the man in the mirror Don't worry, I'm not busting up Michael Jackson music right now. Don't worry. Maybe I might have Greg sing that next time. We'll run it back or something. What if we looked at the man in the mirror? What if we began to realize that the speck in their eyes in comparison is actually quite large in ours? And this is kind of how we walk around. I know what's kind of interesting about this image right now is look how foolish this looks in me. And so because I'm so quick to point out somebody else's sin... Really, when people are hearing me talk about someone else's sin, they're looking back at me like, bro, how does this dude not see the plank in his eye? Like he is walking around right now. How does this dude not see? Everyone and his mom sees it because pride doesn't allow you to see your own sin. It blinds you. So what does God call me to do? He calls me to deal with this plank because he knows if I can deal with this plank and submit it to him, Now I can walk humbly, remembering the sin he just forgave me of, so I can deal with the speck in my brother's eye. My big so what for this whole message, it's on the screen, you can see it, is this. Is we all, notice what I switched here, we all have an eye problem, and the solution is the cross. Yeah, we have an eye problem, but truly, it's actually an eye problem. It's actually all of me. It's my heart that is deceitful above all things. It's my heart where adulterous thoughts flow from. It's in my heart where judgment is flowing from my thoughts. It's from my heart where evil and thoughts are coming from, where greed is coming from, where envy and jealousy is coming from. It's from my heart. It's actually me. I, I have a problem, and not just me. We all have an eye problem, and the solution is still the cross because the cross provides enough room for all of us to come with our planks and our specks 
Because here's the deal. Yeah, it's true. The person with the plank, man, they need the cross. But don't forget, the person with the speck needs the cross too. Both people need the cross. And it was at the cross where Christ in that moment could have judged everybody, could have said, I'm better than you. He could have removed himself off the cross. He could have told us, God, send your angels to come get me. I'm done with this filthy world. But in that moment, that death signified the death of every plank and the death of every speck that no longer needed to be a master over my life, but I could live a judgment-free life. I could ditch the judgment glasses. I could let him stay in this seat so I could stay in a posture of worship, a posture of building others up, a posture of helping, encouraging, and edifying other people up. But I'll never be able to get there if I first don't let God deal with my problem. Me, a sinner in need of God, in need of his grace. Man, it feels like there are pastors falling left and right. It feels like there are scandals all the time. Another news story breaks, another news story breaks. What if our first thought was, man, wow. God, forgive me of where I've wronged you and where I've sinned. Forgive me for my own plank. You notice in the text, actually the whole solution, if you read all of it, the whole solution is actually to really help your brother. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to go to your brother with the speck in the eye. We don't talk about this a lot. Don't miss this. He actually wants the person with the plank in their eye to be able to go to their brother with the speck in their eye. But Jesus knows it will never happen unless we first recognize our own need for grace so that we can now extend grace to the friend with the speck. The church was designed for a bunch of imperfect people with specks and planks to come together and to get rid of it under his grace and his cross and what he did so that we can help each other with all of the specks and planks we got in our own life. There's four things that happen when we help somebody, you can put up this slide. How do I help my friend deal with the sin in their life? Did I bring Galatians 6, verse 1? If I did, can we show that verse first? I may have deleted. There it is. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So to see a brother in sin and to have a heart to help is actually biblical. But there's four ways, biblically, he wants us to do this. Remember the sin God forgave in your life. The minute I see sin in someone else's life, it's like God has allowed me just to put this filter on. I don't do it all the time, but I quickly am reminded, oh, my word, I've been forgiven of a lot. Wow, my wife just said, was that you who said hallelujah? That was my wife, because she knows the sinner I've been. She knows. That's a testament. Amen. Yeah. I quickly remember where I've come from. I quickly remember what I've been forgiven from. I can't help my brother until first I do that. And then two, I realize that the approach I'm going to have with my brother or my sister is not going to be one seated high above them when I come to them. 
But when I come to my brother and my sister, I'm going to walk side by side with them. There's a difference in the approach. Number three, come humble and act gently. Man, have you ever had someone who is just smashing you over the head and made you want to repel? But what happens when you see a brother or sister who have maybe a glimmer of tears in their eyes over the sin you're dealing with, and they're coming to you in a humble way, they're coming to you in a gentle way? Every now and then I have a pastor in my life who will come to me and go, Micah, how are you doing with this issue? And every time he asks me, he's coming in humbleness, in gentle ways. And that makes me want to be a man who God's calling me to become. And number four, watch out for temptation in your own life. This is where Jesus says, if you're going to judge someone, it will be measured against you. So if you're going to judge someone over their sin, Paul's saying, be careful that you're not tempted and you enter it into your own self, your own way. This is why judgment is such a big deal. It's because I've seen a lot of people who are quick to judge, and then shortly after, they enter into the same exact sin they just judged that person with. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to come side by side, come humbly and gently to, to help a brother and sister that you see going on in their life. That is a real thing. It's a real thing. And then I have one final challenge for you before we go into communion, which is this, is let Christ deal with your eye problem so you can be the right problem to the right enemy. Because some of us, the people we're judging, we think are our enemies. But the real enemy is one that is fighting in invisible spaces and places that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy a whole church trying to break apart and bring division, trying to bring gossip into the church. You know what I love about our, our lead pastor is he says, hey, if you have an issue with someone, or if I have an issue with you, I'm going to come to you. Because that's how we do things here. And that's what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18. We're not going to let that stay in our church. That will not be who we are. That is not in our DNA as a Christ follower. But the real problem is Satan. You know what Jesus did with the real problem? is it says in 1 John that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, Jesus didn't focus his energies on the wrong problem. He went and defeated the real problem. And so every time we don't judge someone and we put on the lens of humility and the lens of dealing with the plank in our own, know what we're doing? We are literally destroying the works of Satan, trying to divide us. We're now on the offensive Versus on the defense of trying to justify our words and judgment of other people. Because when we harbor judgment, we're now playing for the wrong team. But when we harbor forgiveness and when we harbor a place of dealing with the plank in my own eye, I now can live and be who God has called us to be in relationship with one another. I love that we're ending with communion today. In Eastern culture, which... The Bible is set up in an Eastern sphere of the world. You might not know this, but the table in an Eastern mindset was seen as a means of peace with one another. Don't miss this. If you were at a table with somebody else, if you see anyone in Scripture at a table, it meant that the parties at the table were at peace together. And when we come to communion, we come to a table where we Say, Jesus, because of you, we can have peace with one another. 
And in communion, we do this to remember what Jesus has done, the forgiving of our sins and the forgiving of our planks. But we all do, also do this in remembrance that God has called me to be in peace with my brother, to be in peace with my sister, to be a person of reconciliation, because that's the ministry he now gives all of us. Reconciling ourselves to God and reconciling ourselves to one another. If it doesn't have redemption in it, I don't want it. And if it doesn't have reconciliation in it, I don't want it. Because to want something other than those two things means it's not the gospel. So communion is a time to say, God, I examine my heart, and would you deal with my plank that I brought into church this morning? Would you deal with my heart that I have towards my neighbor, towards my ex-husband, my ex-wife? God, would you deal with my filter, my judgment filter I've just been walking in. Deal with my plank, Jesus. If everyone could bow their head, close their eyes. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, none of this makes sense until you surrender your life to him. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, I want to give a chance for you to make the greatest decision you can ever make, just like 124 teenagers did in New Jersey yesterday, that today can be your day of salvation. God, climb down the ladder for your life. Not so you could climb up and try to attain him, but he climbed down the ladder so he could come and get you. Your response is, God, I surrender. I turn the other way and I follow you. If you're here and you want to do that today, would you just put up a hand wherever you are? Say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to turn and go the other way. Awesome. So cool. Anybody else? Say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. So cool. Thanks for being honest. So cool. Jesus, I thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation that literally went to those people who say, God, I'm going to turn the other way now. Because if you stepping down to me, I get to turn towards you and turn from what I leave behind to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.